0: The reason you sick ones, pray to God.
1: Hello and welcome to You Are Not Alone. You Are Not Alone is a 1v1 horror actual play podcast. I'm Blaine, your host and RPG-loving friend. This week starts a takeover of sorts. For the next handful of episodes, we'll be sitting down with Gabriel Robinson at Trollhands on Twitter to play some of the incredible games that he has designed. Gabriel is one of the writers working with Jesse Ross to bring the full Trophy project to life. You may remember Trophy from our episode a year or so ago with Rev from The Crit Show. It's a really great narrative-forward horror RPG about doomed treasure hunters entering a haunted forest that does not want them there. Since launching in Gauntlet Codex Dark 2... Trophy has evolved, seeing a longer play format in Trophy Gold, countless incredible incursions, The successful Kickstarter to launch a three-book set for the two games and the setting of the world, and more recently, a series of really incredible new games that are all rooted in Trophy. Gabriel has won Gauntlet Incursion Contest for both Trophy Dark and Trophy Gold, is writing for the upcoming books, and with the upcoming ZineQuest 3 is launching his second Rooted and Trophy RPG. Here on You Are Not Alone, we'll be focusing on that last bit. Gabriel ran a really successful Kickstarter during last year's ZineQuest 2 for the game Candlelight, a game about the ghosts of doomed treasure hunters trying to escape a forest that wants them to haunt it. We'll talk more about Candlelight during our next series of episodes. This week's episode, and the next one, are all about Token. Token is the game that Gabriel is bringing to Kickstarter for Quest 3 this February. In the first part of this episode, you'll hear us talk a lot about Token, so I'll be brief. Token is a GM-less duet game about a hero entering a haunted wood to fulfill some quest in the monster that haunts that wood. The two players take turns setting scene and leaving tokens for the other to find. As they each find these tokens, their drives and desires change. It is a really great game, and I am so excited that I got to sit down and play it with Gabriel. Token will be on Kickstarter from February 9th to the 22nd. There's a link in the show notes if you want to go sign up for notifications. If you listen to this and it sounds like a game you'd enjoy, please check out the Kickstarter and consider backing it. If you like the episode, also please consider rating and reviewing us on whatever podcatcher you use to listen. It really helps other folks find us. If you'd like to be a guest, recommend a game, or just say hi. You can find me on Twitter at notalone underscore horror, or email me at youarenotalonepod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. With all that out of the way, let's talk to Gabriel about token. This week is going to introduce a month-long takeover of You Are Not Alone by Gabriel Robinson, who has designed a couple really wonderful rooted-in-trophy games. We are going to be starting with a game that Gabriel is bringing to Kickstarter in February for ZineQuest, a game called Token. After that, we will be playing a game from last year's Zine Quest called Candlelight. So joining me this week to talk about Token and then play a game of it is Gabriel Robinson. Hey, Gabriel, how's it going?
2: Hey, great. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Oh, thank you for being a part of this. I'm excited. It's, it's a, a little bit weird. Uh, we, we recorded in reverse <laughs> order of release. So we're going to have to kind of pretend like Candlelight hasn't happened yet. Right, right. <laughs> but we wanted to make sure that we got, uh, got these episodes featuring Token out first because Token is coming to Kickstarter. So why don't you tell us a little bit, let's start with just talking about the basics of when it's coming to Kickstarter and anything like that, and then we'll dive into some more specifics about the game and what kind of people might be interested in picking up a copy.
2: Yeah, totally. So the launch date is going to be February 9th, and because it's ZineQuest, the campaigns are two weeks, so it will run through the 22nd. They kind of announced it last minute this year, so I, I know a lot of folks are probably scrambling to get their their act together, myself included. But I do plan on making it a pretty similar format to Candlelight. If folks get a chance to check out that game, you know, black and white illustrations. It's a rooted in trophy game, so some similar mechanics. Um, but this one is a GM less two player game, so it's a duet game, and it's it's inspired by dark fairy tales and folklore folk ballads and those kind of themes
1: that's awesome yeah, I'm really I'm I'm I mean I'm excited for everything about token but I, I'm particularly excited to see the actual product because candlelight I mentioned this before candlelight is one of my favorite zine quest products of all time just because it is such a
2: pretty book. Uh, Yeah, thanks so much. I got to credit my brother-in-law, Brian, for the design work on that. So he's a a graphic designer to begin with, but that's his first game product he's produced. So we collaborated on that. And I think we have a lot of like aesthetics and interests in common. So all credit to him for that. came out beautifully. (laughs) And I had no um, no skills in that. I just just wrote the words.
1: (laughs) Uh, That is for, and I mean, I guess if, if you are a graphic designer, like some of those skills translate over, but it is in, in kind of mind-boggling to me that that is a first, first game product design effort, because it, it looks so slick.
2: Yeah, yeah. I kind of need to lean into that Mystique a little more, because he's really not on social media. So I kind of <laughs> joked about how like maybe it's my brother-in-law or maybe I just like leave my laptop out in the woods and I come back and that's what shows up on my draft. It's, so. a, it's <laughs> a
1: it's a forest witch who does all of your uh, all of your graphic design for you.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's all a cover. I can't really say their true name, you know.
1: <laughs> well, excellent. We won't. I won't try to make you make you do that. I don't want you to have nightly visitations uh, where you have to pay <laughs> the price of revealing the true name of the graphic designer. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so let's talk a little bit more about Token in specific as far as the game goes. So you said it's a it's a duet game that is inspired by dark fairy tales. So give us let's start with I guess the the kind of elevator pitch of of Token, and then we can kind of break it down and talk a little bit more about what people can expect from it.
2: Sure. Yeah. So the name Token is referring to like. Gifts given with intent. So, you know, in a lot of those folk songs or tales, you would leave a token for your lover. Or in fairy tales, you might find like, you know, uh, enchanted or cursed treasures or any object that has significance like that. So token tells a story of kind of your stereotypical hero and monster. Although as the game unfolds, you realize neither are really entirely those things. They kind of change. But it starts with the, the seeker, going into a dangerous forest or other place, and the dweller who lives there and is calling them towards them. And the game tells the story of these two characters sort of dancing around each other, seeking each other out for different reasons, and leaving each other little tokens or offerings or kind of signs of their intentions until at the end of the game, they finally meet. And at the moment they meet, the game, the epilogue is narrated according to sort of those characters' strongest emotions and instincts at that point in the story. But the idea is that over the course of their journey as they kind of learn more about each other, their intentions or their, their understanding changes. they kind of realize what they have in common. And there's a lot of themes to sort of entangle the characters with their backstory and have them influence each, each other as the story goes on.
1: Yeah, I really love the way in the in the kind of mechanization of the game and we'll talk about this as we play to how the the kind of entry point of the story and you you mentioned this in the rules i don't know if this will make it into the final rules but the carrot like not not only are these tokens gifts that are being left but the other meaning of token as the like often negative connotation of like the the stereotype right. repre- stereotypical representation of a thing mm-hmm. and that that's what we enter the game with. But then mechanized through the game itself, that that tokenism is challenged and changed.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I was talking to Jesse Ross, who's the creator of Trophy, which this is based off of, and he—I I think I need to borrow his phrasing because he he mentioned it's sort of about taking otherness and kind of dismantling that and meeting in the middle. So you know, it's kind of built in ideas about this this person entering this place may see themselves as a hero or maybe in the tradition of trophy is like a tragic or a flawed hero and the the person or character they're they're seeking is a monster but it's implied that they used to be human so tragic backstory in that side too and there may be all kinds of tr- stories between them about what the other really is but they only really discover the truth when they've ventured you know towards each other and finally met
1: that's really, I, I, and I like that the the concept of dismantling otherness is something really beautiful. That I think you know, I think I think role playing games in general are so impressive because they are so good at building empathy. I often think of go, playing a role playing game as like going to the gym for empathy. Nice, and and focusing in on that in a role playing game and kind of exploring how you define otherness and how we can break down the concepts of otherness Mm -hmm.
2: I think is a really beautiful thing to do in a game. Yeah. And I think hopefully, you know, with it being inspired by fairy tales or any of those, you know, epics or, or myths of kind of two iconic characters pitted against each other. The idea is that the more they, they face off and realize what they have in common, like maybe they're kind of the same person, you know, they, self-identify and there's a lot of directions that can be taken in so i'm really excited to see like what players do with it because it's very very collaborative at every stage of the game
1: yeah yeah and i think i mean th- that is something when you design a duet game you do really have to focus on some of the ways in which two players can collaborate and tell a story especially if you're doing a gm less duet game how how to build narrative without having you know, a more traditional GM, who's the one who's, you know, at least mostly in charge of the narrative. So I guess that might be something good to just talk about a little bit is uh, like, how, how in token do you have two players play this game uh, without
2: having one be the game master? Yeah, so the first version of the game basically had the, the players take turns being the GM for each other but as i started to like work on the mechanics i kind of realized it's not really a pvp type of game even though like in the story it could be but I, it was really important to me to have like player agency at every step of the game and like in every mechanic so some of the ways that works are you know a lot of the mechanics have built in questions so when you're doing a dice roll if you succeed you'll narrate the success and how it goes if you fail the other player may kind of fill in and describe how there's a negative consequence or how the, the looming dangers of the forest kind of come at you. There's a few other ways that players kind of share the narrative and there's a lot of question prompts at every stage so that there's both like the characters seeking each other, but in the kind of metagame, big picture, like both players know you're going, they're going to meet at the end. So they, they're trying to push their own characters towards each other and and just kind of like take part in that dance and help each other describe the environment. That's another one that we'll get into where you each kind of start describing your environment where you're looking for the other. But as you continue on your journey, you know, at any point, if you're unsure, that's when you ask the other player like, well, what, what happens next? What do I see in front of me? And so there's a lot of back and forth, like creativity and prompts built in.
1: Yeah, that's a really, uh, I think, a really slick way to, to do that, because it can, I've I've seen, uh, at this point in my life, I've read a lot of GM-less games. And I, like, I don't want to call it a cop-out, but a little, like, the kind of cop-out, this game is GM-less response is, all right, well, like, technically the game's not GM-less, but we, we take turns being the GM. Mm-hmm. And, like, all right, so it is kind of GM-less, but at the same time it really isn't. Like you have a GM, it's just everyone takes turns being the GM. Right. And I like I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but again, it just it feels it feels slightly disingenuous to call it a truly GM-less game at that point.
2: You yeah, part of what brought me towards making it GM-less is realizing like like this Most people who are designing games are running them all the time when we're used to some of these GM skills. But for just a new player picking this up, it might be a steeper learning curve, even with like good question prompts and all of that describing some tips for how to GM. But I didn't want to put people off by demanding too much in that way. So there's just a lot of ways you can kind of work your way there by just asking each other questions. And even on the very basic setting of the game, you know, you both collaborate on the environment where the story is going to take place and the types of dangers that might be living there. And, you know, even as you flesh out your backstories, just asking each other questions to kind of flesh it out and dig into it a little more. So I, I hope it works <laughs> for everybody.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I get, this is going to be my first time playing it, but I, the, my, my initial gut reaction to the rules is it looks like you did a very good job of, empowering both players to be heavily involved in the narrative, like both kind of on their active turn and inactive turns, which I I like that a lot. I think it does a very good job, at least on paper (laughs) of bringing both people into the fold of the story kind of at all times. Cause you don't also with a duet game, like you don't want it to be when it's, you know, when one of us is the active player, it's pretty much all on us. Because right. then it kind of becomes just dual monologues.
2: Right, right. I think so. That's one thing I like to talk about rooted in trophy for a second, because that's the the trophy system by Jesse Ross. We have Trophy Dark and Trophy Gold. It's kind of where I got my start designing games in the last year or two, just writing for that game. And that's part of why I've stuck with it so far is it's such an elegant, like rules light system, but it's so so evocative by giving you those like just really cool visuals, building on the same themes and symbolism in every scenario and like built into the rules, you know, there's, so in trophy dark, the, the risk role has before you even roll dice, you ask the whole table, like what could go wrong in this moment? And you, you have every player kind of help set the scene and set the tone. And as you kind of build your dice pool and make the roll, there's such an opportunity for the players to influence the fiction. There's not devil's bargains in token, but, you know, in Trophy Dark, there's devil's bargains where you can just put all these options on the table for what might happen. So in a little bit of a different way, that's what this is drawing on, where anytime there's uncertainty in the story and dice come to the table, both players can really have equal say in how that goes. And it's very little is written down. It's really inviting both players to just like build the atmosphere together.
1: That was, and I mean, trophy is such a. It is such a good system, and it was one of those systems where, like, before I before I read, actually sat down and read it, I'd started hearing rumble rumblings in the game community about this game, and finally, I was like, all right, like, I I need to check it out, and uh, I was I went in almost a little a little worried that like, could it possibly live up to the hype, <laughs> right? of like everyone saying how good it is could it possibly be that good and after i read it i was like oh yeah it is it is that good Mm -hmm. um particularly for when you want to do like and i mean trophy dark specifically is designed for one shots trophy gold is designed to kind of make it longer but if you want to tell kind of more short concise horror fantasy Mm -hmm. it is it just it it does that so well in the like you said the way it mechanizes bringing all of the players into the collaborative space is really awesome
2: yeah and every every game i've played regardless of players or gm i just think it's a credit to like its narrative structure and using themes where somehow like players just get in sync and they start using like parallel symbols things kind of echo each other just things build in this just beautiful like dreamlike way so yeah I just wanted to mention that a little bit and that's what this game is drawing off of and hoping to create in its own way
1: awesome and yeah I mean I think it I think it does that well so I guess is there before we start playing is there anything else you feel like folks should if they're gonna if, if someone is just listening to this to to hear a little bit about it and doesn't continue on to listen to the actual play that we do uh, is there anything else you think people should know about token? for the kickstarter
2: for the kickstarter again if you had a chance to check out candlelight and we'll include links for that it's going to be the same level of quality i actually have three i have six guest writers lined up which i don't want to mention all of quite yet but i have three returning who were really gracious to contribute to candlelight it's just talented writers i have uh, linda codega who's written other trophy dark trophy material and other games uh, nicholas M- masik who has written for Candlelight and Monkey Paws games and um, is producing Unconquered. So just a lot of brilliant stuff from him. Um, and then Jamila J- najadi They're going to write something for the setting as well. So super, super excited to have those folks contributing.
1: That's so awesome. That is a good a good lineup of folks adding. Yeah. And the The stuff that they added to Candlelight was so awesome. So I'm sure that whatever they add to Token is going to be fantastic.
2: Yeah, I'm going to have basically settings for the game. So the guest writers are going to create short settings, which can, in the same way that this game is inspired by like different myths or folk tales, that will give you a clear, distinctive like type of setting and story you could jump into. So I can't wait to see what they do. But I'm I'm really honored to have them contributing.
1: Excellent. Well, that is uh, that is all very very exciting, and I can't wait. So again. The Kickstarter is going to be running February 9th to February 22nd, so if you're listening and it is within those dates, uh, you should definitely head over to Kickstarter and check the project out, because it is going to be, uh, I I personally think, a very awesome product, uh, a very awesome game, and definitely worth, worth one of your ZineQuest purchases, although I know that's Zine Quest is both <laughs> the most wonderful and most terrible time of the year because I want I want to back all of the projects.
2: It's even worse if you're a Zine Quest creator, because if your project is doing well, then that just justifies backing more zines. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, there you You um, got some, a little bit of extra money coming in, so you might as well
2: Yeah. So might so as many, well
1: spread the wealth.
2: So many talented folks out there, so yeah. Back as as many great projects as you can, even if it's just supporting them or getting the digital pledge. yeah, just so much talent.
1: Yeah, that's how I end up like'll I'll pick one or two like usually it ends up being like four or five projects. I tell myself it's only gonna be like one or two that I that I'll do the like actual print version of and then I'll try to pick a bunch that I can do the like you know three to five dollar PDF and feel like I'm being a somewhat responsible grown up. <laughs> <laughs> um and not spending my entire paycheck on games but it is real tough <laughs> awesome well we will then uh I think that that is a, a good time to jump in and get started on uh on actually playing some token. Awesome. Uh so what 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 should we know as we're jumping in to you know get ready for
2: for world creation and character creation. So for character creation, it's if, if anyone is at all familiar with Trophy, it's very similar. You have just a couple character background traits, which give you skills. So oh, well, even before that, I should back up. Do you feel like you'd want to play the seeker or the dweller in this game? So the stereotypical hero or monster? Any so my,
1: me, me being me, <laughs> my natural inclination is to go for the dweller. Uh, But I will say whatever works better for you since we're, since this is both an actual play and a play test, Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever
2: combination works best for you. Let's go with that. That's fine. I'm glad to play the seeker and have you play the dweller of this place. Awesome. I'm, I'm real excited. about. Yeah.
1: I I, I guess I GM so much horror that I'm just, I'm used to being the monster.
2: Nice. So, the first thing we should decide before we sketch out our characters, I think, is just the environment where this this story is going to take place. I think that could help us build it a little bit. So, going to scroll through my text here and find where we can set it up. So basically, we're going to each either pick or roll, pick from a list or roll a dice, whichever you want to do.
1: All right, let's. Uh, I mean, let's let's. I, I love random tables. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, of the random tables. So let's I, I would say let's let's leave it up to the dice.
2: Okay. So if you would just want to roll a d6 and I'll roll one as well. All right.
1: So I got uh, this is a, a positive start to the game. I got a six.
2: All right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you why later. So that gives us I got a one. So combining tables, we get a deep marsh thick with reeds and insect swarms, polluted and ruined by feudal wars. Ooh, I I actually like that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So that's just the broad landscape where the story takes place. And when we actually get into it with our characters, we'll describe where we're starting that landscape and kind of uncover more locations and details of it as we go. Uh, But from there, you pick your elements, your, your different character options for the dweller, it basically gives you a couple tables. So you first are going to pick your past identity because you used to be a person as well, just like the seeker, but you've been changed into your current form somehow.
1: All right. Let me look. Oh, there's so many already. Uh, and I had this exact same issue when we played candlelight, <laughs> the, the random tables you come up with. Um, uh, what
2: do you, mm. I'm going to look at my character too for a second, but, um, but yeah, you get a background, which is your, your past identity. And then you have some features, which is what your current sort of monstrous form is.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so just to give a, instead of me, just like hemming and hauling over how good (laughs) this list is, uh, I should probably read, read a couple of them. (laughs) So people, it's people aren't just listening to me making weird noises. Um, So some of the ones that immediately jump out to me as like things that I, I, I love as tropes, particularly in horror, there's the injured butcher who's skilled in killing. There's the transformed gardener who's skilled in nourishing. There's the outlawed surgeon who's skilled in flesh, the cursed artisan who's skilled in crafting. Oh,
2: there's so many good ones. This is using the same form as as trophy. Really, you get sort of a a fictional tag and then a skill that it's applied to, and basically anytime you're you're doing dice rolls, it's if if in the the fiction if that skill is relevant, that will help you with what you're trying to do.
1: I think I think I have the. It's just it's too good. Uh, <laughs> I think I have to go with uh, outlawed
2: surgeon skilled in flesh. That's funny. Someone was just telling me about that the other day. I was like, "Oh, I don't know. Is that too? Is that too gruesome?" Like they're like, "No, keep it in." Like, okay.
1: (laughs) I like I'm this weird person who like you know the ones that I'm drawn to are like the butcher and probably it sounds like fairly evil surgeon, and then also the transformed gardener. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think outlawed surgeon skilled in flesh is just too.
2: It's too good. All right. So that's an element of who you were. And then the next little set of question is how. In this case, it's the swamp, not the forest. But how has the land changed you, and what makes you monstrous or feared? So you get to pick three of these features, which give give you other skills.
1: All right. This one might take a little bit because this is a little. And I'll I'll read some of them as I'm I'm looking Mm -hmm. over them. But this is a much longer list, so. We have things like spectral, skilled in impermanence, feathered, skilled in flight, clawed, skilled in ferocity, rooted, skilled in growth, glowing, skilled in lures, amphibious, skilled in swimming, mesmerizing, skilled in glamour, many-limbed, skilled in climbing, just I've created this awful character already, because I know. Uh so I'm definitely going to take both mesmerizing mm-hmm. skilled in glamour and many limbed skilled in climbing.
3: It's like what a...
1: Is... Hmm. I am I'm just imagining this this person who was a like a plastic surgeon before his time. Mm-hmm. Or, like, a, a plastic surgeon meets Dr. Frankenstein. Right, right. So, I think maybe in that vein, I'm also going to take inquisitive, skilled in adaptation. Cool. So, this kind of like Dr. Frankenstein or Dr. Moreau kind of surgeon who, who was at least in life convinced that they were like on the cutting edge and trying to find a way to push humanity to its next
2: evolution. Which is all about more limbs, at least, or, or something better than.
1: Just- yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you're going to, if you're going to start somewhere. Sure. I feel like many limbs is, uh, is the place to start. And then, you know, you move on from there and you do other stuff, but. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you've got your, your identity. And your three features, the last thing, maybe we'll come back to that. I'm going to pick mine and then we'll go from there.
1: Okay. Um, So you, you are the seeker. mm -hmm. So what do you, so you pick a tragic
2: past first. So these are things like, and you know, I'm going to reword some of these. So ignore what's written here, (laughs) but uh, like famine survivor, giving you the skill and scavenging Forbidden sorcery, skilled in recklessness, or betrayed alliances, skilled in insight. I think, I think I'm going to go with. I'm going to say family curse it gives me skill in resisting. So I'm just going to pick that there. I feel, I feel like that's a good a good
1: foil to mm-hmm. my my powers of mesmerization.
2: Oh sure, <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of interested in that as as far as, like, I mean, all kinds of fairy tales or myths, but, you know, uh, trying to escape a curse or, you know, find the cure to it somehow. And then my identities, this is a thing that I've sort of carried over from Candlelight, where I let you choose any three of these things. They don't necessarily come in sets. So, you know, there's no sort of classes or anything like that. You're not a fighter that has all these skills about fighting. For the Seeker, some of the... The identities are things like Elder, Skilled in Traditions, Witch, Skilled in Healing, Outcasts, Skilled in Survival, Chronicler, Skilled in Lore. So just kind of the broad span of, of what your experience might have been before you came to this adventure. So going off of the Family Curse, I'm going to go with outcast, Skilled in Survival, thinking there's a connection there. I don't know what it is yet. I'll get there, and let's see. I'm trying to remember items uh, you picked for the candlelight game, actually, which had some similarities. Um, so, <laughs> I feel like I've seen some of these recently when we played. But I'm going to pick Oracle skilled in prophecy as well. Always I like, like that, that
1: one a lot. That is, I don't think I ended. I think I. Did something else related to prophecy, but I mm-hmm. kept coming back to that oracle because it's a it's a trope I lean into a lot in character building.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to go with mentor, skilled, and guidance. So That's I, an
1: interesting. I l- I like that kind of combination of the. It's interesting the way that like mentor and outcast play off of each other mm-hmm. in a in a sort of like. Like they make sense together in a weird sort of way, but also are like almost antithetical.
2: Yeah, usually you think of like the apprentice being expelled or or something like that. And I don't know how those. I'm going to find out how those connect. It's going to be interesting. But those are are my skills. So we each we each have uh, four skills that will come into play when we're doing dice rolls. The next thing that we choose is our our instinct. So this is basically the drive from trophy it's what we're setting out to do and a key part of token is that this is going to change throughout the game so as we come across clues about each other or even find like items from each other that's going to cause us to change what that instinct is but whoever gets to the end of the story first mechanic wise is going to narrate how that story ends from their point of view with that instinct so some examples of the seeker are Things like, I seek to slay the monster which haunts this place, or I seek to uh, befriend a powerful ally. And then it gives you a second part of that instinct, S- so that I may restore my reputation, or I may escape my tragic past. Things like that. But that's just our starting instinct. So both of us have different tables there, which can give us uh, sort of a... You put them together and it will give you a full phrase that is your sort of starting drive that you're setting out to do.
1: I really like the way you, like you have them crafted, too. That the I seek to so that I may is a really...
2: It, it allows for a lot of customization. Mm-hmm. I really love short tables like that, where you... Again, this game only uses D6s, so you have the two little lists of six, but if you combine them, that's you know, the 36 options right away. And as we play the, the cool thing is it's up to each player, how that changes. You might just change a word. You might rephrase a whole thing, depending on the story. Um, The games of this I've played, it's been really cool to see how that, that uh, instinct evolves as the story builds.
1: So I have the first half of my instinct trying to, so uh, Mm -hmm. I seek to reveal the majesty of the
2: forest. Cool. trying to figure out I think if there's a different phrasing you have in mind to start you can totally go with that
1: um yeah I don't think I, I don't think I need to change anything I was just kind of debating between a couple different ones as far as like how how I'm starting to envision this dweller so yeah I think so My my instinct is going to be I seek to reveal the majesty of the forest so that I may shed this twisted shape for that of my former self.
2: Cool. Which is really interesting with your backgrounds that you were this maybe like outlawed or sorceress type of surgeon.
1: Yeah. I think like I, what I'm envisioning is this person who, you know, again, like a Frankenstein kind of Dr. Moreau style renaissance surgeon perhaps we'll call them but all of all of that was rooted in this fact that he didn't he didn't feel like his true form was represented in the flesh that he wore Mm -hmm. and so like all of his becoming a surgeon and uh, becoming mesmerizing and many-limbed has been an attempt to find his true form.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting.
1: Whatever that may be, and I don't, I don't think he's found it yet.
2: I'm already um, afraid of it, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is not. It's not a good monster. <laughs> but I like. I I I am fascinated by that co- that concept of. Like, I feel like this has probably been done before, but like the plastic surgeon who. Mm-hmm. Is kind of constantly changing themselves because they don't like what they are. Mm-hmm. And that like that's more of a, a deep-seated thing. Like what what is wrong with them goes deeper than the surface. Right. So the more you the more limbs you attach, you're not you're not gonna get to that. You're not gonna fix what's wrong by just adding
2: more limbs. <laughs> how many limbs did it take? And we'll get into that. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know yet, but
1: it's at least many,
2: right? (laughs) Yeah. I went with a more with an antagonistic way to start because I'm kind of curious to see how it changes or doesn't, but um, I think it'll, it'll match well. So mine is I seek to slay the monster, which haunts this place so that I might f- fulfill an oath or prophecy. So tying into that Oracle background a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I mean, I, I'm, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with the way I have set this character up. I do not blame you for wanting to slay <laughs> me. I feel like that is the, the kind of natural initial reaction to a mesmerizing many-limbed outlaw surgeon.
2: <laughs> right. And a family curse in there somewhere. I feel like we have a, a pretty cool mix of ingredients already.
1: Yeah, this will this will put together an interesting, uh, an interesting story. <laughs>
2: <laughs> cool. So the next thing we each choose, we pick one and we keep it secret. By the way, um, we both have access to charms, which are basically rituals or magic spells from Trophy, but we both can access the whole list. We don't have to just pick one. Okay. There's always as always there's a risk of doing that, which we'll get to, but you don't have to pick those from the start. Oh, I like that a lot. I think that's a cool twist
1: on the classic kind of trophy list. So let me I will put
2: that in my notes somewhere just so I always have fairly easy access to it. So the, the next thing that both characters choose is their secret and I'm still adding to this list in the draft you have. So if you think of a different one, go for it. But basically, these are each character knows some way that they're connected to the other, but the other one doesn't know it yet. So we each pick one of these and keep it secret. And at the very end of the game during epilogues, there'll be a chance to reveal those and basically see if those influence the way it ends. So there's an opportunity for a twist at the end. Or even if you're not the player, like, quote-unquote, winning by narrating the game ending first, you can still reveal that and kind of make a final bid and see if that will influence the story. Awesome. I like that a lot, too. And I think I have a good one.
1: All right. So I put that in my own personal document.
2: All right. So we've got the setting. We've got our character choices. The last thing before we start to play and describe the game is basically describing where we're each going to be starting in this landscape. So further down, there's some tables and generators. You know, feel free to use these as broad inspiration or to pick one specifically. The Seeker always starts the game because they're the one sort of entering this space, but they should have an idea of, of what that looks like where they're starting. And the dweller is somewhere in the middle of this environment. So they have some sense of what that looks like. If it's, you know, their lair or a notable, like, landmark in the landscape. Okay. Um, And then as we play, like, as we move through the landscape, we'll be kind of discovering it as we go. And adding features to it and signs, strange features of it and evidence that we might see of the other character who's been there. It's, It's kind of abstract but it kind of zooms in on each character when they're, it's their turn. And the idea is that both characters are never in the same place at the same moment until the end of the game. But narratively, if, if they kind of overlap, we'll, we'll describe that as maybe we like get a glimpse of each other from far away or we see evidence of each other, but we don't quite confront one another yet. Okay. Does that list give you any ideas of like where your character might be?
1: Uh, It does. So I think trying to come up real quick with. Okay, that's perfect. See, I think I think my sort of lair is deep in the forest, kind of at the heart of the forest. In the ruins of an old stone fort. Cool. That. That was the staging grounds for one of the the feudal wars that ruined this this place. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's mostly like it's mostly collapsed. There are still kind of a few corners that might have some overhang. There's just giant holes in the walls most like the entire exterior walls have kind of collapsed and there's maybe like a sideways tower jutting out of this deep marsh. Mm-hmm and Braden spends his time tucked away in one of the corners of this, this ruined fort.
2: I like the way you added a title. I'd meant to get to that because it's up to, to you, you know, if you remember your name or if there's a name that you're called, but I, I like having a name and a title a lot for the dweller.
1: Thank you. Yeah. So, so I think the, like the people of wherever you come from, Sometimes say the name and sometimes say the title and sometimes say them together, but it's Brayden the recluse.
2: That fits really well. My character's name is Mazara, whose pronouns are she, her. So Mazara, I'm picturing starting her journey to this place. Actually, I kind of want to touch on that ruined by feudal wars. And the fact that we talked about the elements of a swamp. So I'm picturing like, Deep in the swamp, there is like a forest and a grove of some sort with those ruins. But maybe some of, you know, the land has sunken from those wars. Maybe it's machines of war or dark magics of some kind that's just polluted this whole place. And it's, I'm kind of picturing it as slowly sinking in like bogs in different places.
1: Yeah, I like that. I think that makes for a really cool visual of this just kind of Wrecked place that's being reconsumed mm-hmm. in the aftermath of, and especially with it being feudal wars, wars mm-hmm. plural, not just singular. Like mm-hmm. this place has seen decimation after decimation,
2: and is just kind of returning to the marsh and the swamp. Mm-hmm. So I'm picturing. Mazar starting on the very outskirts of the swamp and there's like a series of what used to be trenches that are like half flooded now, like as they're sinking down, but kind of going across them is like the remnants of this footbridge, kind of rotting wood, maybe some stones here and there. So there's barely a bridge left, but there's an idea of like where to cross without swimming <laughs> through this mire, but all across it, it's very overgrown but not necessarily by like greenery. I'm picturing a lot of fungus and the way, you know, mushrooms consume and um, filter things, filter out those toxins. It's just all the, the decaying landscape kind of sinking in and being recycled and spots of, of brighter greenery and um, like stumps of trees that are starting to sprout again. Things like that. I like that. I I think that's a beautiful, like, uh, it's both
1: depressing, but there's also like hope for the future.
2: Yeah. Kind of the tone I'm going for. (laughs) I remembered one thing I skipped, but we've got the setting. The other important part is for each of us to establish one of the looming threats of this place. So these are dangers of the environment. It could be, I mean, it could be pollution. It could be environmental things. It could be monsters that live here for the dweller it could even be other like hunting parties or other humans coming in that are a danger to the dweller themselves okay uh, but there's a list and we each get to pick from it
1: all right looming oh there's some real good ones here too
2: the other fun part of this is that we can add to it as we go so more than one may show up but at least we start with a few
1: all right i think i, I think i have a take on one of these cool that i think it, it works well so f- f- for one of the looming threats the weary bones mm-hmm. the restless dead so i think that one of the like major looming threats of this forest is what would what would Braden call them i think maybe brayden would call them the cast-offs Hmm. but they are the the failed experiments Mm -hmm. of his outlaw surgery like i think one of the things he does in this forest is continue to try both on himself and unsuspecting things that enter is to continue to try to ply his trade Mm -hmm. and i think that that Maybe some of those things that haven't worked out so well are still a, a, alive in a sense of the word, mm-hmm. and still in the forest and consumed by the hatred of everything, Braden
2: included. Yeah, that fits the scene really well. It's making me think of the the dead marshes in Lord of the Rings a little bit, where these wars have happened, but all these bodies are still here and have changed.
1: Yeah. Uh, and that was, I mean, as soon as you started mentioning the trenches, uh, that is where my mind went. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, I think that Braden probably like, it's a mix of people who like unsuspecting victims, but then also like one of the reasons that Braden shows this, chose this place is because there are so many corpses here from all of the wars. Right. And it gives him, so much raw material, mm-hmm. uh, as as awful as that sounds, mm-hmm. yeah. To to do the things that he is trying to do, mm-hmm. I was originally I, I went into tonight thinking that I was going to build a more sympathetic dweller, <laughs> and that has not been the case. <laughs> far.
2: but you know, it's a good place to start. It is very different than last game I played, but I, I like that it starts antagonistic cause there's somewhere to meet in the middle or, or yeah. not, but at least it, it gives some stakes right away. Um, the one I picked is the rot, which is corrupting fungal spores that are spreading. Oh, uh, I realized I'd God. already started mentioning mushrooms and, and things like that. So there, there are maybe it's maybe good and bad the way like oyster mushrooms can filter toxins, like in in the real world I guess and but here there's also just the spread of fungus like it's becoming a fungal forest. Oh, uh, really? I love that image. And that especially picking up on the pollution. So you know, maybe maybe the the weary bones aren't as threatening to you as to me, but the rot is sort of threatening every living thing here also.
1: Yeah, that is. So it- and, and this might be something we decide we want to want to investigate more in play. But like, what do, what does that is it like? Is it kind of like the cordyceps fungus creating like zombie ants? Oh wow! Or is yeah. it
2: like? <laughs> I think now it has to be. That's yeah. that's <laughs> horrific. <laughs> I was yeah, totally. And I, I'm thinking like the husks of trees. So again, this maybe used to be more of a forest before all the pollution and all the wars so there might be like hollow trees that are overgrown with fungus maybe in places it's there's whole pits where those trenches were that are lined with it and other places it's just kind of grown really unnaturally tall
1: oh, i like that a lot
2: that is and maybe there's like remnants of of magic in the those wars uh, which have seeped into the land i guess
1: i like that that creates an, again a really cool potential for some like really like kind of surreal mm-hmm environs
2: yeah fun sense of scale i feel like so we have we have everything set up to play the game just as a recap we have that marsh that's been polluted by feudal wars it's overrun with the spreading rot these mushrooms and there are the weary bones the, the castoffs these sort of restless dead and deep within this place is Brayden the recluse, the dweller who was once an outlawed surgeon and has become a mesmerizing, many limbed, inquisitive entity who dwells here. He's seeking to reveal the majesty of the forest, hoping to shed the twisted shape that he has for his former self. Dwelling there within that ruined fort. And we have entering the edge of the scene is Mazara, who is escaping or seeking the answer to a family curse. And she was once a, she's a mentor, somewhat of an oracle and an outcast. And she's seeking to enter this place and actually slay the monster, slay the recluse, um, so that she may fulfill a prophecy. And as we you know, get into each step of the game and have them interact with each other, we'll see how that unfolds. I'm so excited. I love <laughs> I love it. every
1: every second of this already. Awesome. I think we're ready to start this this story. Mm-hmm. So how do we how do we get started?
2: So we both described kind of where we're starting out from and then in token the seeker goes first cuz they're the one kind of entering this dangerous place. Just a couple broad concepts about the game. We're each trying to collect three tokens which are sort of symbolic objects or other things that give us insight about the other character. There's, there's sort of three ways the game can end. So the first is that one character acquires three tokens. The other way is that the environment, the forest itself, acquires three tokens. So there's ways that the those threats we described are going to grow and threaten both characters. So if the the land itself gets three tokens, that's going to wipe out both our characters tragically. We'll never meet. And the other way that the game could end is if either of our characters gain three scars, which is sort of an abstract, it could be physical wounds from our journey, or they could be more psychological. Just the, the weight of our tragic backstories might drown us in woe, so to speak. So it's just a note on that too, that you know, in Scars, we're not describing any sort of ableism or trivializing like real-world trauma. Characters get to describe their own scars and what that means, so that's totally up to the character. But those are the three ways that the story can end. And as players, we're kind of trying to balance those things and keep our characters alive till we can meet. Awesome. Yeah. Quick overview. So to set out, what I'm going to do is get the rules flowchart here. So Mazars is, is entering this place and starting to look for clues about the recluse about Brayden. I kind of described a few things, but it it would be cool to hear like what just at a glance, are there any other strange features about this entrance to the swamp or any signs or, or things you'd like to to add in to f- describe it?:
1: So I think kind of at this juncture. There's still not. I mean, there 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 are some rotting away trees, but I don't think, in in my imagining at least, and maybe correct me if I'm I'm wrong. In my imagining, like the forest proper, kind of starts deeper in. Mm -hmm. Um, So this area is kind of like there's scattered trees about, but not not like thick forest, right? And I think that the one thing that Mizara does notice is that in kind of the crooks of the branches of these dying trees, there are an abnormal amount of spider webs, Mm -hmm. kind of thick webbing that creates like just kind of these like thick white gossamer webs that hang off of the branches and, and have collected in the crooks of the branches.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen pictures of that somewhere, like some season when it may not have even been spiders, but it was like webbing completely encasing these trees. I don't know if it was like a type of silkworm or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think it's if I, uh, that, that, I think we're imagining the same thing. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's spiders mm-hmm. that do it, but it is like, it is that look of like just these like
2: thick patches of web. Mm-hmm. Love it. It's very ominous so I I think I'm going to start out by making a reflection roll. So this is basically what I do when I'm searching the landscape or reflecting on what brought me here um, Okay. to find signs of, of your character. So a, a lot of themes of this game, the mechanics are equally giving equal weight to like the physical world and like the inner world. So, you know, like those scars could be completely, uh, could be physical wounds. They could be something else. It's, it all kind of has equal weight. So to do this, I make a, a pool of six sided dice. We have light and dark dice. Cause this is a rooted and trophy game. And I'm going to add a light dice for just for making the roll for seeking you out or reflecting on my instinct. And then I'm going to look at my character sheet really quick think my other skill is going to be survival from being an outcast um i
1: think that makes a lot of sense in in
2: entering into a dangerous forest yeah and i should say this is another part of the mechanics where normally the gm would be kind of the arbiter and you know saying yeah that works or that doesn't so if as we're building the dice pools the other player should definitely chime in and if that makes sense or not say what they think so so that would give me these two light dice. Second. So I rolled a one and a two. So I look for the highest dice, the highest oh, no. dice a two. <laughs> start things off. Right. <laughs> that is, that is not a good start mm-hmm. or, or it's a great start. I don't know. It's a, it's a great start. You know, um, uh, again, just framing rooted in trophy. Some of the game principles are play to win, but also play to lose. So, you know, I'm, I'm all here for it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, And I feel like this is the moment to have one of those kind of roles, too, because like it's a great way to frame what is to come.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So mechanically, what that means is the forest gets a token. If that that pool of tokens that the of the forest reaches three, it's sort of like the the land itself wins and uh, (laughs) kills us both or ends the story for us both. So mechanically, that's added, and then you describe something dreadful that I encountered. Ooh! All right, let me. Spiderwebs were good, but there's something worse for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep track of the force at the bottom of our sheet here, too.
1: Okay, perfect. So let me ask, and a, I, I'm imagining it's probably a little bit of both. But like, what what exactly is Mazara doing in mm-hmm. this
2: reflection? Right. She, so she, I think, is trying to warily step across these like rotting wooden boards that are half submerged in this mud and kind of trying, warily peeking around those trees that are covered in webbing. So I think it's a combination of trying to keep her footing and not fall into the trenches and try to see what's ahead. But it, I don't think there's much that she can tell yet. Okay. Maybe poking it with like, a, she has like a walking stick. So I think
1: that as as Mazara is walking across these these wooden slats that have been laid across one of these trenches, it, the, the mushrooms and the rot of the trenches has started to kind of grow up and is even now trying to consume these wooden planks. And I think that I think that they're a little bit more slippery than uh, Mazar really realized. So as she's using her walking stick to kind of poke at this webbing, she begins to slip and is able to catch herself before falling into the fetid water below. But as she looks down, she sees floating in the water, this bloated corpse that is it has too many limbs of course (laughs) it has i think maybe its right arm is cut off at the elbow and has been attached to its left side along with a few other arms that are obviously not from the same body and she realizes for a moment, there's this moment of worry, obviously hide, hide, hanging onto a, a slippery plank of wood and seeing the body. And at first the body is very still mm-hmm. and it is floating and it is bloated. Like it has taken on the water that it is floating in. And then it begins to moan and thrash. And because all of these arms have been sewn to one side of it, it kind of is just swimming in a circle, <laughs> trying to get out of the water, but it can't. And it it is moaning and screaming. And it isn't a threat in the sense of, it is too far down and it is too oddly built mm-hmm. to like reach up and grab Mazzara, but it is there and it's making this awful kind of gurgling yell mm. as it tries to escape the fetid water.
2: I think Mazara kind of shudders and steps back kind of slipping, almost falling into the trench, but like maybe falling to the ground for a moment and, I think recalls some of this prophecy, some images from a dream or from one of her meditations where there were all these creatures that had been sort of reconfigured that had been wounded uh, animals and people and had various parts switched around. She didn't understand why only just the horror of these like life forms kind of stuck in between their natural, beautiful form and but they've been altered in in ways that just went against their their own instinct that they were just kind of suffering because of it and reminds her that that's she's here to to face the creature responsible for this and i think visually she kind of reaches into her her robes and she's got this she's carrying a walking stick but has a large spearhead that's been carved from a very hard Maybe obsidian, some kind of of stone that she she holds it in her hand and kind of puts it back, but she she's ready at some point to attach it to that walking stick to to make a sort of ritual weapon. And she kind of thinks for a moment of facing this creature and is like, not yet, but but there's there's horrors like this, you know, ahead of me. And by the way, when the forest or the land gains a token you can it's up to you how much you want to escalate it you know if it does attack the other character it's whatever feels right to you as the other player okay awesome i think when it's my turn again i think i may come back to interacting with that but once i've made a roll then it it turns to you
1: okay so i i think that as we cut away from from zara debating whether or not to engage with this this cast off as braden would call it we cut to this ruined fort and in one of the one of the corners that still stands and provides a little bit of protection from the elements there's a small campfire and sitting by the campfire is someone who still looks mostly like a person he is uh, old, kind of shockingly old, lines creasing his face. His, his white hair is kind of long and unkempt, but he has a, a surprisingly kind of trimmed and short beard. And he seems to be he's roasting something over the fire, preparing a meal. And we we see he's wearing a cloak, and it's kind of hard. The cloak looks too big for his form, like an old man maybe trying to wear the clothes that he used to wear. And his form has shrunk down so much at this point that it all just looks too big for him. And I think that in the distance, there's this kind of brief echoing sound of struggle. That alerts him to the fact that someone is coming. Mm -hmm. And so I think he, he gets up and it looks, it looks almost like he's walking on, on a pair of crutches. And we realize his legs are very, are even thinner than the rest of him and don't quite seem to be able to support his weight. And so he uses these these crutches that are jutting out from under his cloak to move. And I think maybe, let me look at the, I feel like this might be dangerous, but I also feel like he's probably not going to, I think he might use like a a ritual of some sort, a charm of some sort to try and find out more Mm -hmm. about what's happening.
2: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: So I think maybe we have one of one of the charms that's available is project, which allows us to observe a remote location in spirit form. Cool. And I feel like maybe that's that's being older and having difficulty moving has probably become largely how Brayden the Recluse kind of sees the sees the world around. Mm-hmm. So I will get one light die. I'm going to... This is a reflection roll, I feel like. So one light die for seeking the other. Definitely going to be one dark die for
2: using a charm. And then let me look. So actually, for the reflection roll, it's two dice total you get. It's just okay. up to you if it includes light or dark dice like that.
1: Okay, perfect. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, looking at, my, looking at my skills, I don't
2: see a skill that's necessarily... I mean, you could use a skill instead of the charm. Yeah, it's really up to you if there's one that's relevant.
1: Yeah, I feel like there's one that I might be able to make a pitch for, but I feel like narratively, it's more interesting to use the charm right now. Yeah, yeah. So I think maybe, I think what this looks like is there's this, I think maybe it's one of the like fetid dying tree stumps that's kind of hollowed out and inside of it is some of that brackish water. Mm -hmm. And he uses that as like a scrying pool.
2: Yeah, that's really cool.
1: So he moves over there very slowly and there's probably a a ritual that goes along with it that involves maybe crushing up some, some various leaves and mushrooms from parts of the forest. I think maybe he kind of, Lazily drips some spider webs into the water and uses <laughs> that to mix all of this powder in. And then he reaches down and touches it and can kind of view other places. It's awesome. And now, so I'm going to roll one light die and one dark die. Mm-hmm. That is a pair of sixes.
2: Wow. So that's just a success. Things are a little different. The high dark dice doesn't have any consequence in this case. So you just gain a that's token. Right, that's, mm-hmm. that's weird.
3: <laughs>
2: Normally in trophy games, the, the dark dice rolling high is bad. It's, it's a little different here. I'm going to have to get used to that.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, so when I gain a token, you tell me what the token is and I say what the meaning is, correct?
2: Yeah. What's that? Yeah. I think in this case, I think the token is because of your ritual you you just get a full view of of me entering the forest you have a first glimpse of mazara and you see her wearing like a traveler's cloak that's a little bit faded and muddy carrying a walking stick and you see her kind of edging back from the trench with is that one of one of your creations i'm assuming yes yeah kind of eyeing it and and kind of hesitating, deciding to engage or to, to back away further. But she's in her, you know, middle aged has has a few creases, you know, and of worry in her face. Dark hair, but some gray gray hairs as well. And underneath that cloak is is like a a few layers of clothing that was once maybe really fine, picturing like layers of purple and green and some, some nice silks some just basic, a satchel for traveling. So a little bit out of place, but showing signs of wear from entering this place. You know, I think with that glimpse, I think you see that just as she's putting it back into her cloak, that uh, obsidian spearhead as as sort of a sign of, of maybe her intentions. Awesome.
1: Yeah, and I think so. I think when Braden sees that spearhead, that's the thing he focuses on.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think so. I think we get like a little bit of a uh, like a mini flashback of Braden in this same fort when it was still a fort, and he has he has like he has braces on his legs, and he's again using using crutches to move about and he's watching kind of jealously Mm -hmm. as soldiers in the fort prepare to march out for battle. And we see that the soldiers in this fort are all wielding spears Hmm. with that exact same type of spearhead, that obsidian ritual spearhead. And he's just standing there as a younger man, watching jealously as they march off to war. Thank you to Gabriel for coming on and bringing such a great game with him. And thank you to you for listening. As a reminder, the Kickstarter for Token is running from February 9th to the 22nd. The link is in the show notes so you can head over early and ask for a reminder when the campaign goes live. I definitely recommend checking it out. Our theme song is Everybody Knows My Name by Harley Poe. Thank you to Joe Whiteford for letting us use it. Join us on February 5th for the conclusion of our session of Token. Until then, remember that you are strong. You are beautiful. And you are not alone.